So good morning, church. Different. We're different. And so is our message different. Do you want to see how different? Do this with me. Clasp your hands. All right. No, just keep them clasped. How many have the left thumb over the right? Yeah. And I suppose the, the others are the other way because you only have... Okay, try this one. Fold your arms. All right. How many have the right arm over the left? Yeah, about half. Try it the other way. Can't do it, can you? No. We're different. And yet for all of us, we have the same message. So do you want to hear something different this morning? Here it is. Two scripture passages that make no sense whatsoever outside of an understanding that there exists in the universe for those who have committed their life to him, a loving, caring, sovereign God who is in touch with the daily processes of your life. A God who knows who you are, a God who knows where you are at all times, and a God who's working out his purpose in your life on an ongoing basis. Here are those scriptures. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. And then in Philippians chapter 4, the, the book that we've been tracing through for this special series, verses 6 and 7, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. My wife and I just got back from Africa. Jill retired from UVic last December, and we were hoping for a vacation to celebrate. And as it happened, the Africa experience fell into our lap somehow. One evening, about six months ago, I was watching the French Channel with the sound off, and uh, it was a travelogue featuring Victoria Falls in Zimbabwe, West Africa. The 355-foot crevasse of Vic Falls that had been christened one of the seven natural wonders of the world, uh, being shot from uh, an aerial view, this spectacular vista showed up beautifully on the large screen TV that night. And I remember immediately rising from my most comfortable chair and uh, saying out loud, nobody in the room with me, but saying out loud, I would love to see that sight with my own eyes. I can't explain it, but I think the Lord must have heard me because in short order without any effort other than paying for our tickets it seemed 
We were on our way to Africa for 10 days with four other couples. Yes, we were off to Afrique. And uh, it was as spectacular as we ever imagined it could be. Victoria Falls, first gazed upon by missionary explorer David Livingston in the mid-1800s. It was still there in all its thunderous splendor. And uh, there were 12 points of interest that you could walk along the path that was unencumbered by boundary lines or cement barriers. The view was spectacular. You could wander as close to the edge as you dared at any given time. It was like fantastic. And later in the week, we would even walk with the lions. Yes, real live African lions. The male was about eight months old. The female was about nine months old. And uh, it was a little bit like a chapter out of Born Free. Okay, anybody over 70 understands what I'm talking about. <laughs> and then there was something we didn't even remember signing up for. It was called Feeding the Lions. Yeah, the Feast of the Beasts. Every four days, the big male lions were rotated through this feeding program. They were there to, uh, for, for, for breeding purposes to save the African lions and, uh, and uh, support the gene pool. So they had lions from all over Africa, 20 males, and five were released every, every uh, on a cycle of four days. And uh, so needless to say, uh, we were uh, terrorized as the lions came forward, found their food, without manners, ate it in front of us, about 10 feet in front of us, with growls resonating through our bodies, duly terrorized. Later in the week, we experienced for the first time a river safari in Botswana and saw a family of elephants frolicking in the water at River's Edge. And uh, honestly, we felt so blessed that we could uh, have these experiences because we could have never orchestrated it for ourselves. Like, you come around the corner, nobody told the elephants to be there, but they were there, and we were thankful. You, you didn't think you were going to get this when you came to church this morning, did you? <laughs> There's more, because in ordering our itinerary earlier that month, what I was really hoping for was an opportunity to see what was happening in the church in Africa, too. And so not to be presumptuous, people knew that we would be in the vicinity, and so we prayed for an invitation. <laughs> and sure enough, two came only days before our arrival, one from Harare Villages of Hope Church, and the other was to spend a week with Watoto Church in uh, Kampala. Visitors are welcomed and cared for in Africa. If you go, you will find most Africans friendly and gentle and infinitely polite. You will frequently be humbled by African generosity. Africans have in abundance what we call social skills. These are not skills that are taught or learned there's no 
click on have a nice day smile in Africa. Africans meet and greet and talk without any twitchy self-consciousness. And so to meet the people was a real joy for me. And uh, that was a bit of a surprise because the animal adventures and the sights that we'd seen already were over the top. I mean, even the sky seems somehow higher in Africa. But the people, the people were wonderful. I said I, I visited Harare and Kampala, two different cities in two different countries. And quite frankly, they were a study in contrasts. The day before we flew into Harare, the capital of Zimbabwe, international news had announced the death of Robert Mugabe, former president, which generated immediately two national days of mourning. And in spite of the people speaking in hushed and respectful tones about Mr. Mugabe, Mugabe had bankrupted the nation, and everybody knew it. It was a strange thing, but the temperature outside in Harare was uncharacteristically and unseasonably cold. It went down to 7 degrees Celsius at night, and we would wake up to very chilly mornings. Some of the Zimbabweans attributed this phenomenon to Mugabe's passing and linked it to his legacy and dominion over the land as they considered these two days of mourning. His legacy still leaves a chill today. I was called to preach at our PAOC Villages of Hope Church, but the evening before, I was asking myself, literally pacing my hotel room, asking myself, what do you preach to a suffering church? Inflation is rampant, reaching stratospherical heights. The old currency had been arbitrarily adjusted by the government to where overnight your net worth could be deregulated to almost nothing. And even if you had money in the bank to withdraw it, you'd have to inform the bank why you need the money. And if you said, for instance, you need it for medicine, they may decline your request if they did not deem it a priority. So even with your money in the bank, it didn't necessarily ensure that you could use it at your own personal discretion. During one of our visits with a pastor and his wife, to make a point, they said, you know, earlier in our lives, at one point we had $10,000 in the bank. But with currency devaluation, it made them into quadrillionaires. The lady extended her hand to us and she said, have you ever shaked the hand of a quadrillionaire before? Back in Victoria Falls the week before, the street hawkers were offering to sell us billion dollar bills of government issued currency for the price of two dollars American. I even saw a trillion dollar bill of Zimbabwean currency and it was mind boggling. Since the currency has been adjusted to a different system now, but the bottom line is that still people have no money. And you could see it on their faces in church.
It was school time. Children, such as our own, were returning to school in a week, and mothers were living with the pressure of providing proper school supplies for a new semester and wondering how they were going to do it. This was a suffering church in a nation in financial disarray. It was reported to us by the bishop that many of his congregation could not travel to church because on Sundays the exorbitant cost of travel was just too much. About 10 days before we left for our trip, I was reading The Economist, and I read of this bishop, Never Mutsuparutsa, and wondered if I'd ever meet anybody like him. As it happened, he was a, the first Zimbabwean I met when we landed in Harare. Isn't that amazing? He's our man on the ground in Harare. And this is what the economist quoted. At his Pentecostal church in Harare, Zimbabwe's capital, Bishop Never Maparutsa sighs at the empty pews. In recent weeks, as the economy has deteriorated, his congregation has shrunk from 400 to 120. Mr. Maparutsa sends Bible verses via WhatsApp to those too poor to travel. He tries to keep sermons upbeat, but he's worried about his formerly ambulant flock. The joy I used to see is gone, he says. They might as well be Anglicans. Okay, I didn't say that, and I didn't write it, but there it is. In the last two months, taking an African taxi went up from 50 cents a ride to $5 a ride. They're telling their bishop, look, bishop, we'd love to come to church, but, but we don't know if we'd have enough money to get to work the next day. They simply couldn't afford it anymore. So the bishop said, then we'll send the church to them. And so in recent weeks, Four new churches started up in the outer communities. The pastors went where the people were. I thought to myself, Lord, what can I preach to these people? And the Lord seemed to say to me, well, what has encouraged you in the most difficult times? And I thought of Philippians chapter 4. Verses 6 and 7. Never forget them. And I thought of Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And I thought, that's the word of God to humankind. It crosses all boundaries. It covers all time zones. It bridges all cultures. It speaks to all issues. It speaks to the spiritual needs of humankind. One of the pastoral teams we met were Blessing and Dudu Menhenga. They just planted a new church because of the transportation limitations, and they have 40 people attending. And they're excited. 
in spite of the fact that they live in a home and a neighborhood without electricity. The homes with electricity, by the way, are aware that the power will usually come on at one o'clock in the morning and last to about four or five in the morning. So if you want to do your laundry, you know when to get up. You'd think that this is an impossible hardship, but when Blessing and Dudu showed up at 6 p.m. to the hotel for supper with us, they both appeared as if they'd just walked off a fashion shoot. They were dressed immaculately. Dudu's nails were perfect. I don't notice things like this, you know. You know, the gals would notice this, but I noticed that night. Her, her nails are perfect as if she'd had them professionally done. And her broad, colorful hairband was stunning and blessing every inch a gentleman and a beautiful compliment to his wife who had preached only 36 hours earlier. She was the preacher of the new church plant. You would have never guessed that she lived in a house that had no electricity. And neither would you hear any complaint from them. They did give expression regarding how hard life is for Zimbabweans in general, but as for themselves, the fact that this couple had four children of their own, the eldest 19 years, and also have assumed the responsibility for her sister's two children, it was an amazing thing to witness, but these realities and responsibilities that they bore did not deter their commitment or their enthusiasm for the Lord's work at all. Nor was their hope dampened for a better tomorrow. They were hoping and praying God's help for the nation and for themselves. And friends, that's what the gospel does for you. And so to the suffering church, I preached Romans 8.28 that Sunday morning. And to the suffering pastor, I gave him Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 and 7. What does Romans 8.28 say? For we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. What does Romans 8.28 mean? I think every Christian should be acquainted with this verse because, you see, when you've given your life to Christ, you've stepped over a line. You've entered into communion with the living God. You have entered into a relationship, a partnership with the Almighty God. And this verse says that there are tremendous consequences here. In fact, if what this verse says is true then every cloud in your life has a silver lining in Christ. And every event in our life is capable of producing final and lasting good to our souls. And that's what I want you to hear this morning. Now when people hear this verse, at once there's different reactions. Some people can hardly believe it. Others outrightly challenge it. One says, I wish it were so. Another says, I hope it's true. 
But there are some who are able to say with the Apostle Paul, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, who are the called according to his purpose. I know and we know seem to be favorite words of Paul. He says to the Philippians, speaking of his trial and imprisonment, I know that this shall turn to my salvation through your prayer. He says, speaking of the future life, we know that if our earthly house of this tabernacle were dissolved, we have a building of God, a house not made of hands, eternal in the heavens. And most familiar of all, he says, I know whom I believed and am persuaded that he's able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. And here we have another great I know. Paul says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God. Now, how did Paul know this? Was it because he was so smart? Or was it that he was given, uh, this, this information was given to him in a vision? I don't necessarily think this was the case. I believe that Paul could speak these words with such certainty and such conviction because he had the experience to prove it was true as he decided to put all his faith in Christ. His was the knowledge born of faith. The Apostle Paul was saying, it's because I know who's on the throne in heaven today. It's because I know who's on the throne of my heart and my life today that I know, that I know, that I know that all things work together for good. And so, in this great Bible verse, Paul is dealing with the experience and the faith of someone who's living for Jesus on a daily basis. And child of God, hear me now. You are not in the hands of grim and speechless fate. You are in the hands of a loving God this morning. And so you need to know today, when you are glad or when you are sad, when you are strong or when you are weak, when you are solid and firm or when you are shaken, when you're successful or when you're feeling beaten down, all things will work together for good because you matter to God. And because you, he has a purpose for your life. And so as you learn to trust him and align yourself to his will, he'll continue to perform the good work he's already started in you. Now when I was a young man very early in ministry, I was 24 years old, I asked uh, this gentleman, he, he was an evangelist, Western Canada, and he was in town, and I wanted, to, I wanted my young people to hear him. I, I was a youth pastor, and, and so uh, I, I, had to, I had to look after him that evening, and we, I took him out to, to dinner uh, before the meeting. Uh, on a youth pastor's salary, that meant spaghetti factory. <laughs> but, you know, spaghetti factory is high class because it's got three Three courses. Got salad, spaghetti, and spumoni. Hey, you got it. So uh, this is how the this is how the 
the, the dinner went. Uh, it was, it was, he was a lot older than me, and you know with old guys, it's hard to talk to them. <clears throat> so uh, I was just trying to be civil and uh, social, and uh, it got awkward because uh, the salad came. We said, the, said grace, and then he looked up at me and said, Ron, yes, <laughs> I believe that you can trust God with your whole life. Yeah, you know, like I'm a pastor. Yeah, okay, uh, so what do you say after that? I think I said something like pass the salt. And uh, then the spaghetti came, and I'm sure there was other repartee, but the spaghetti came, and before, well, just, yeah, in the midst of the swirling of the spaghetti, he looked up at me and said, Ron, yes, I believe you can trust God with your whole life. And I thought, yeah, thank you, thank you. And so then, so then, so then we cleared the plates, and the spumoni came. And isn't the spumoni great at Spaghetti Factory? Yeah. You remember, don't you? The, sp the spumoni came, and before the spoon touched that pink ice cream, he said, Ron? Yes? I believe you can trust God with your whole life. So as we're stepping away from the restaurant, I'm thinking, what was that about? What was that about? What could that possibly be about? And then uh, when I got home, I, I was still scratching my head. And I mean, we had a fine, a fine meeting with the young people. And, and then about three months later, walking down the street, it came to me again. And what was that? Do you know what it was about? It was about trusting God with your whole life. <laughs> that was the beginning and the end of it. Maybe if there's a message for you today, this is it. It's 45 years old and it's been brushed off by this old guy, but it's for you. Say it to yourself, I can trust God with my whole life. Because we know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Now we need to be sure that we interpret the scriptures right. So as much as we know what Paul's saying here, we should know what he is not saying here. In the first place, this is not a verse for God's dealings with people in general or God's dealings with the general population. The Bible speaks about that in other places. But this verse is about God's dealings with God's people the people who love and trust and obey him. Secondly, Paul's not saying in this verse that all things are good. He knew that that was not the case, just as those he, he was writing to knew. Just as we know today, there's much that's not good. Cruelty is not good. Hard labor that produces nothing is not good. Lack, disappointed hopes, sorrow, pain, 
heartache. These are not good. Hatred, dissension, persecution, defeat, none of these things by and of themselves are capable of producing good. And Paul does not say that. Neither does he say that all things by themselves can and do produce good, for often they do not. Neither does he say that all things work together for good regardless of the character or the faith or the love to whom these things are happening. But what he does say is all things work together for the good of the soul to all who have responded to God's call and to those who love God and to those who've put their trust in him. In this 28th verse of the 8th chapter of Romans, there's two important facts. God has a plan for your life. And the other important thing to consider is your response to his plan. Because it's the people of God for whom this verse is written. It is in their life to whom all the events of life will bring lasting good. It is those who are called of God who will know that all things work together for good. Now when a person hears this verse, their mind settles at once on that word all. I mean, if Paul had only said a few things or, you know, some things, we wouldn't have questioned him. But he said all things. And this morning I say, I believe in God. I believe in the providence of God. How about you? Are you sure that you do? Because the test of belief in God and his care for us comes when we go through the hard things. I think it's significant and encouraging to know from whom these words are uttered. Paul was no fair-weather sailor. He was scarred as a veteran warrior for Christ. He was a man who literally could point to the marks on his body that he had borne for Christ's sake. In one of his passages, he gives us an extraordinary list of the woes that he'd endured. Hunger and thirst, loneliness, sickness, prison, robberies, scourging, shipwrecks, and yet Paul never reproaches God, never complains that his life has been a hard one. He doesn't expect it to be any le less bitter a road, for it has been all endured for the sake of the gospel. And at the end of it all, he knows that all things are working out good for him and in him. Notice, though, that Paul doesn't start to spiritually categorize these experiences in life, but he, he looks at it through an overview, and he says, my heart is clean before my God. I know of my calling. I am seeking to do his will, to be obedient to him, to trust him fully. And so I know. He is working in my life on an ongoing basis. You know, it's not 
hard to say that all things minus the hard things work together for good. But it shows real faith in the sovereign rule of God when we can say that all things, even the hard things, work together for good. So that word all, we have considered. But then there's that other word, together. All things work together. And that might be one of the most important words in this great promise because Paul does not say that everything works good by itself even to all those that love God but that all things together work good one event before another after another with another combined with all the others and you can see how this works because the different and varied events of a military campaign must not be judged by itself or the plays of a sporting event, but in their relationship to the general strategy and the final victory. Then you see how it has happened. All must be related to the end. I've never been in a military campaign, but I've been on a sporting team, and I know what it means to be scored on four times in three minutes. It's either panic or, you know, or dig in. And this is the way it is with the events of our lives. The events in the lives of those who love God, they must be related to the grand strategy which God is working out in human life. We don't know all God's purposes. Of course not. To know that, we'd have to be God. But... If there is anything we should know this morning, it is that we who love and trust and obey the Lord can rest in His sovereignty, a sovereignty which affords a deep sense of security. And what Paul says to, to the Philippians is, affords a deep sense of peace. If we look to ourselves... We have no security at all. The lust of the flesh and eyes, the pride of life are stronger than we are. And yet when we look to the strength of our God, we can be confident, as Paul writes, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. After Zimbabwe, I went to Uganda for a week or so as a guest of Pastor Gary Skinner. We visited Watoto Church. There are 32,500 in that congregation today. I could never keep up with the math. People would ask me, when Gary first came here with the first Watoto Choir back in I think 91, there was eight, nine of them that were lined up <laughs> in, uh, in uh, chairs over here. And we were, we were over here midweek service, and Gary brought Watoto, the first Watoto Choir, nine kids. And uh, he was trying to get us Canadians a little revved up. 
So he was doing all the actions for all the choruses and couldn't understand why we were just so Canadian. But uh, he forgave us, and uh, they came back every year since uh, with bigger and, and uh, greater choirs. But that was a pretty sweet choir. Um, where was I going with this? <clears throat> oh, yeah. I couldn't keep up with the math. So they would say to me, well, how many, how many, how many uh, people go to Watoto Church in Kampala? And I'd always say, uh, well, let's, let's be generous. Uh, I think there's about a congregation about 1,500 now. No, actually it was 2,200. Oh, oh, that's great. Okay, so two years later they come back and uh, people would ask me, so how many people go to a total church in Kampala? And I'd always say, well, I think about 2,200, 2,300. No, actually it's about 2,800, 2,700, Oh, so my math was always wrong. And it just got worse. I mean, you know, they'd, uh, they'd come back the next year and they'd say, how many? And I'd go, I'm being generous now, 3,000. I'm going, I hope I'm not lying. You know, it's not good for pastors to lie. But actually, it's uh, 4,200. Oh, really? I couldn't keep up with the math. Do you know why? I was dealing with addition. God's dealing with multiplication. Today, there's 32,500 people that met in church in Kampala Pentecostal Church this weekend. Isn't that incredible? God is doing something great in the city of Kampala. And uh, <clears throat> the, the main downtown church is flourishing with 13 satellite, multiple service churches all around. They'd love to start another satellite church, but they're having trouble finding a proper venue because they know the weekend they announce a new church site, 2,000 people will show up for the first service. Now, that's a different kind of problem, isn't it? Although it wasn't always that way for Watoto. There were the difficult days for our brothers and sisters in Uganda. Idi Amin, the, the president, was persecuting and hatefully chasing the Christians into the swamps of Uganda in the early 80s. To be a Christian in Uganda during that time was to be persecuted for your faith. But God is faithful. Today, the Pentecostal church in Kampala is thriving. A 35-year-old overnight success. It makes me think of the church in Harare and my meeting with the church planters there, Dudu and Blessing, at the conclusion of our time together, Pastor Brent Canelon asked me if I had $60 to give them just to help them out so that they could take a ta taxi home in the dark and maybe help with school supplies for the kids for the, for the week. They were over the top with just a a small donation like that. But then I slipped blessing a, a, a note too from our text today. I just I just slit I just slid it over the table. He 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 didn't even look at it. He just picked it up and he put it in his date timer. He didn't read it. But I believe one day he will read it. And I trust it will be a day when he will need it. Because it's the recipe for peace in the Christian's life. 
And it's because we know that all things work together for good. Therefore, as it says in Philippians 4, 6, and 7, therefore, we are anxious in nothing, prayerful in everything, thankful in anything, and there's our peace. Do you hear me, church? This message is for you today, as clearly as it was for Harari two weeks ago. This is your God who says, be anxious in nothing. Be prayerful in everything. Be thankful in anything, for there is my peace. The peace of God that shall keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Faith is not given to guard the life from anything. It's given to guard the life in everything. It empowers one to bear and to bear cheerfully what otherwise would break the heart and darken the ordering of God. The Bible gives hope. It reminds you again and again, God is for you, not against you. You can trust him with your whole life. So that to pass through the very worst that life can bring, undismayed in soul and unembittered, to tread the darkest mile and to sing in it, never to lose heart or hope or love. That's what faith is about. That's what faith achieved for the Apostle Paul, and that's what faith can achieve for every one of us. It's the shielding power of faith with all taking up the shield. The shield of what? The shield of faith. Because this is even what Jesus himself did. He, he was never exempt when he came here. He was a man of sorrows, and he suffered, and he was tempted in all, the Bible says, in all points like as we are, yet to the end, in a faith that never faltered, he was loving and tranquil and forgiving, and even under the cross, he spoke about his peace. And so peace, God's peace to you, church, and to you, and to you, and to you, you can trust him with your whole life. Let's pray. Lord God, I thank you. I thank you for your wonderful word this morning. Words of life to us. As I thank you for my brothers and sisters here today, Lord, you had an appointment with us this morning. For you know us by name. You know where we live. You know the things that we have been faced and challenged with this week. And today, Lord, we just lay it out all in front of you. 
and dare to praise you with honesty and dare to pray to you with an open heart to live for you even when we're troubled to sing to you even in darkness to continue steadfastly in prayer Yes, we thank you for the power of your word today and for your indwelling spirit and for the gift of forgiveness and for your call upon our life. In times like this, Lord, we pray for sustaining faith. Help us. Help us to draw strength from the constancy of your gifts. Christ our Lord. Sustain our faith. We pray in the wonderful name of Jesus. Amen.